Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet. Something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the chips were destroyed. The, the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from those waters that turned bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the king of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. This is the word of the Lord. Well, those sound like some fun passages to look at, don't they? <laughs> are you ready for this? All right. 
death, destruction, blood coming from the sky. Praise God. Let's talk about it, all right? Let's pray. Show me a prayer, Lord. Thank you so much for us to be able to be here today. And uh, Lord, I'm just praying for you to reveal yourself and to speak to us, uh, every single one of us here today, Lord. I pray that this would be uh, a day that all of us hear from you, receive from you, Lord. I believe that you have something significant, something important for every single one of us that is here and that is listened. So Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what that is, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, Lord. And we also pray that you would help those Seattle Mariners make the playoffs this year for the first time in eternity. Uh, let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's dive into the message here. Today we're going to talk about the reality of heaven and hell. That's what we're learning from the text here today, the reality of heaven and hell. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself from the beginning, really throughout this whole message is, am I living with an eternal perspective? And I think this is how you and I are called to live, that we would have this perspective like God has of, of, of eternity. And when you and I live with an eternal perspective, it changes how we view the world. It changes how we see things and people and how we handle situations. And so let's, let's really wrestle with this today, okay? Am I living with an eternal perspective? So we are in Revelation chapter 8. This is a fun journey as we go through the book of Revelation, the series called Apocalypse. Verse 1 says something very interesting. Did you catch this? All of a sudden, as the Lamb, as Jesus opens the seventh seal, there is complete silence in heaven for 30 minutes. That shows us something significant is about to, to come down. Here you have heaven where there's constant noise and worship, and they're, just, they're singing to God. They're declaring his holiness, his greatness. You got the elders, the creatures, the angels, the multitudes in heaven, and they're living in heaven, and there's this, this party and, and, and music and singing, and then all of a sudden, it's dead quiet, which shows you this seventh seal is a big deal, right? Silence is an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, silence is one of those things that can reveal a lot of things. Silence is one of those things that can be very awkward for many of us as well, right? I had a friend who said he did a silent retreat once. Him and a bunch of people, they went to this retreat center, and they ate food, they hung out, and they, they lived an entire weekend together, and they didn't say one word. It was a silent retreat. And he said, it was one of the most profound weekends of my life. What I heard from God, what God did in me was, was incredible because all the noise was gone. How many of you would love to do a silent retreat? Does that sound kind of fun? Some of you are like, I don't know if I can handle that. You know? Hey, this last week, my daughter's school put on this music production, this music play, all the different music classes in the middle school did all these songs and all these numbers, dances and everything. And I was reading through the program and I noticed this one class was going to do a song called 433. And when they got up there, they came and sat on their chairs and they sat there and they did nothing. <laughs> and so what their special song or their special number was, 
was for four minutes and 33 seconds, they sat in silence. I had never experienced like a musical play like this before, like this, you got the song and the dance and you know, all this music's going on. All of a sudden they come and they sit there and it's just dead quiet. And they're just sitting there. How many of you feel awkward right now already? Anybody? It's, it's, we got to get used to silence. Let me say that. But uh, the, the silence lasted about two and a half minutes before somebody busted out, just couldn't take it any longer. Like they just lost control and a group of people around them, they just started laughing. They're like, oh, you know, it was, it was too awkward for them. And then that died down. And then about another minute later, they lost it again. The same group of people, they just couldn't handle it. It was just too, it was just kind of funny. And then some of the kids, because of that, up on the stage, sitting in the chairs, they smiled and moved, you know, they weren't supposed to. But it was just this interesting thing. I've never seen anything like that in a play or a musical production where it's just uh, silent. I'll never forget the first time I ever watched The Passion of the Christ. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Okay, this, let me just say this week is a good week to watch The Passion of the Christ. It's Holy Week. Watch it Friday. Let, let it remind you of why we call Good Friday Good Friday and, and, and just remind you of all that Jesus did for you on the cross. Like he went through horrific things for our sin. And so it's a very powerful and profound movie. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. I'll never forget watching it for the first time in the theater, when it was released in the theater. Some of you, maybe you watched in the theater back in the day. And at the very end of the movie, the, everybody in the theater sat there in dead silence. I don't know if that happened to you guys, but that's what happened to us. And I'm telling you, for five minutes, nobody moved or spoke a word. It was one of those experiences where we knew we had just watched something very profound and powerful. It just, it moved our hearts in a way that we weren't even prepared for. Like we knew that this is going to be brutal. It's going to be crazy. It's, you know, it's rated R and all that kind of stuff. And now Christians are, it's okay to see rated R movies because the passion's rated R and all that kind of stuff we were walking through, right? Because it's about Jesus. And, 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 but the end of the movie, you're just like, wow. And our entire theater for five minutes was silent. Nobody moved. Nobody said a word. They just stood there because something significant had just happened. I'm sitting there. I'm just praying, dear God, use this movie to change people's lives. That's what God was stirring inside of me. You know, so silence can be one of those things that communicates something important just happened or something important is about to happen. And that's what we see here in Revelation 8, verse 1. All the noise, all the commotion, everyone's doing their thing in heaven. And then all of a sudden, everybody stops and they turn and they take notice. It's as if they've been waiting for generations for this moment. They know this is it. This is the time. Here it is. And all of heaven turns their gaze to this moment. And they're silent as the lamb opens the seal. Some people think this is where the tribulation actually begins, which is possible giving the, the dramatics of this moment. There's silence for 30 minutes. There's some scholars that, that say, well, maybe God is giving space for all the prayers of the saints to come. It's, it's really, it's a prayer moment because that's what's referenced next in Revelation 8 there. Let's go to verse 3. You see verse 3 talks about the prayers of the saints Another angel, verse 3, who had the, the gold, a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the, on the golden altar before the throne. 
The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. And this is very similar to the reference that we read about in Revelation chapter 5, where again, there's the, the gathering of the prayers uh, of the saints. God hears your prayers. He stores up your prayers. We see here again that our prayers, the prayers of God's people, they matter. So it's important that you understand that. Your prayers matter. In fact, it seems that our prayers have a profound impact on what's going to take place in the end times, even. Sometimes we wrestle with, like, God's not answering my prayers. Why isn't God hearing my prayers? And sometimes he waits until later. And God always answers. It's yes, no, or wait. There's always an answer. Yes, no, or, or wait. And so for some of us, this is the moment that our prayers are going to be answered. These prayers are gathered up. Here they are. They're rising above God. And now, now God's about to ready to continue moving forward in these, these judgments that he's pouring out to bring justice on the earth so that he can bring about his full redemption to mankind and to, uh, to the earth. So we move into the trumpet judgments from here. Seven trumpet judgments. And these plagues here, that they're, they're even more severe than the seven seals. When you start reading through these, like, wow. Like, I guess we just read them. It was pretty intense. Not as intense as the seven bulls, which are coming next, but it's like another level, it feels like. They're affecting the earth. You got hail and blood coming from, from the sky to the earth. It's affecting the sea and the, and the rivers and the lakes. There's, there's more death. There's darkness. All this crazy stuff is going on as the angels are blowing their trumpets. And then you get to chapter 9. So go to chapter 9, verse 1. And let's read the first few verses of, of chapter 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 9, we're going deep into the, the, the seven trumpet judgments, and we see basically all hell is breaking loose here, right? It's like we got demonic creature, locust things coming out of the abyss. You're like, whoa. Okay, like this is getting intense <laughs> and is getting crazy. So who is this angel that comes down to unlock the, uh, the abyss? Um, and it says stars, what it says, right? Okay, because the angel blows his trumpet. A star comes down from the sky, uh, from heaven. And so some people think this star actually represents Satan, which it could. Jesus himself said, he saw, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So that's in Luke chapter 10. So this could be a reference to that. It could be the same thing. It could be happening again. Uh, Isaiah 14 is talking about Satan himself as well. And it says this, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven. O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. So it could be Satan. It's, it's possible. I think it's more likely that it is actually one of God's angels that comes down. It's, it's sort of mimicking what took place uh, with Satan, but it's one of God's angels. And God has given him the key, the authority to open up this abyss. Now, when you look ahead to Revelation chapter 12, you can see that it appears that Satan, when he tried to overthrow God, 
He tried to take over, tried to become more powerful than God, which is interesting because like, God created him and gave him life, but full of pride and himself, he rebelled against God, tried to take over, and he actually convinced, it seems, one-third of the angels to follow him. So we'll get to that in, in Revelation 12. But Satan has all of these angels that have also rebelled against God, and they are following him. And so apparently, some, not all, are locked in this abyss, which is kind of an interesting thought. And so this angel has the key, opens the abyss, and so all these demonic creatures are unleashed. They're described as, as locusts. So you got these demons coming out of the bottomless pit in the abyss. Jude actually referenced this. Verse 6 is what it says in Jude. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So apparently there are some demons that are locked away right now in this abyss. Now Jesus came across this guy that was, was full of demons. And, you know, in fact, actually, let's just read a couple verses here. Because this is kind of interesting that we see another reference to the abyss with this encounter with Jesus here. So Luke chapter 8, just two of the verses we'll read. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He's talking to this demon-possessed guy. What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many de demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Like, don't send us to that place where all the others are locked up right now, is what they say to Jesus. This is the famous story where they say, send us to the, to the pigs, okay? So it's the first instance ever in recorded history of deviled ham. And so they go, they go into... You like that? Bible jokes, guys, come on. They're the best. They're just below dad jokes. Bible jokes. <laughs> I've never used that one. I've heard people use it, but I've never used that one. So they go into those pigs and they run off a cliff, all that. Okay, so, but it's interesting. So you got these demons who are free to roam and wreak havoc on us, the world, but some are locked in this pit. And so they're begging Jesus, don't send us to that place, to this uh, abyss. All right, so then we see in Revelation, as we're reading here, we got all these demonic creatures coming out of the abyss, and they have a leader, a baddie or Apollyon. That name means destroyer or destruction. So who is this Apollyon? And, you know, is, it, is it the devil? Is it a high-ranking demon? Uh, the truth is, it could be one of those. We don't know. It could be the devil. But uh, I think it's more likely a high-ranking demon. Either way, what we see is he is definitely the, the scorpion king. And he's going to lead this demonic locust army to wreak havoc on the earth. And so maybe you've heard people talk about this passage here where they talk about this obviously is speaking about helicopters because John doesn't know back in, you know, living in first century what helicopters are. And so he's describing what appears to be like flying scorpion, locust, demonic creature things. And so he's never seen a helicopter. So to him, that's the closest thing he can think of. So maybe it's helicopters and, you know, and the truth is this, it could be or it couldn't be. We don't really know. I don't think it's, it's beneficial to get caught up in all of that. I mean, obviously, the devil can, is going to use an army, and it could involve helicopters. Or it could be these crazy insects on steroids that 
John is describing right here, okay? These, these demonic creatures that are just wreaking havoc on people. They're going to torture people for five months. You see that? Could be a literal five months, which is the lifespan of, of a locust. Um, or it could be just figurative, meaning it won't happen forever, but it will happen for a long time, and it's going to be bad. In fact, people will wish they would die, but they won't die. Okay, all, the bottom line of all this is sometimes it's very difficult to make sense of all the imagery and the symbolism of what's going to take place. And we can get too caught up in that. Let's just, let's just look at the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Demons are real, friends. Demons are very real. We see them full force. More of them are coming out from the abyss here in Revelation 8 and 9. And the demons are basically the devil's minions that he sends to try to keep you and I away from God. That's their goal. To keep people out of relationship with the God who loves them and gave them life. And if he can't do that, then they're going to do whatever they can to uh, attack us, to discourage us, to tempt us, to distract us. Like they love to wreak havoc on Christians and make them powerless Christians that are only consumed about themselves and their world. Sometimes they do too good of a job with that. So what we see is not all the demons are locked in the abyss right now. They're, they're obviously somewhere roaming around. They're real. They are aggressive. So demons are real, and they also have power, but it is a limited power. They have some power. Let's be honest about that. But it is a limited power. The truth is the devil doesn't want us to know that. He doesn't want us to know that his power is limited. So these Demonic creatures that are being unleashed right now are sent to wreak havoc on earth, but they are not able to touch those who have the seal. Did you notice that? They can't affect those people. Now, remember, when you and I put our trust in Jesus, we are sealed by him. We're protected. We're sealed by him. Ephesians 1, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal. The promised Holy Spirit, as his presence came and set up residence inside of us, he, by his spirit, lives inside of us. We are sealed in him, by him, and with him. So that's good news, friends. Okay, amen? So we're walking through, we've walked through the seven seals. Now we're going through the seven trumpets. We just see lots of crazy stuff going on, right? Lots of death and destruction. And you might think to yourself, certainly, like most people going through this would say, okay, God, I believe in you. Okay, you're real. I need you. Would you rescue me? Get me out of here. You'd think that that people would come to their senses and cry out to God and look to him. But what's interesting is you get to the end of chapter 9 and look at the last two verses at the end of Revelation 9. It says, The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And so it really is a bummer. It's, it's really a shame that people, even then in these last days, experiencing horrific things, won't turn to Jesus and look to him. But it's just as tragic today when people won't turn to Jesus as well, guys. Uh, and here's why. Because hell is a real place. And it is a real place that some people will spend eternity. 
And I think that fact should motivate us as believers to share our faith as much as we possibly can with as many as we possibly can so they don't have to spend an eternity apart from Jesus in torment in hell because hell is a real place. The devil's real. The demons are real. We're seeing them full force right here. And hell is real. We often don't like to talk about that or think about that, right? And a lot of people are like, how can a loving God do that? That doesn't sound like a loving God sending people to hell. But look at what this loving God has already done for us. And this week, this holy week shows us that he has gone to great lengths to be in relationship with us. He is a loving God. And he is a holy God. And he is a just God. C.S. Lewis said something very interesting about this, this hell thing. Talking about hell, he said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. Some of you might feel the same. But it has the full support of Scripture, and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom and has the support of reason. If a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. So as we're reading through Revelation, we're learning all the stuff, I think one of the things that, that really stands out to us is the reality of hell. It is a very real place. And so, again, let this be a reminder and a motivator. Guys, this matters. The mission Jesus has given to us, uh, what we do as a church community, we, we don't, we're not called to just serve like we're going to do Saturday. We're going to serve a bunch of families and just do this really cool egg hunt, which is a lot of fun. We are called to change, help change people's lives for eternity. The Holy Spirit does it, but he uses us. That's why we exist, so the people don't have to go there. So let's not get caught up in our comfortable Christian life, trying to avoid all the pain and all the, you know, just trying to enjoy life, you know, with me and my friends or my family. Let's, let's be Christians who have this mindset of, you know, eternity matters. Let's have an eternal perspective in our life. There's this guy named C.T. Studd who was a missionary and a Christian leader about 150 years ago. I think he was a missionary to China. Did some great work and uh, just got a cool name too, right? Stud. Like my last name's Renta and his last name was Stud. C.T. Stud. This is what he said. Some want to live within the sound of the church bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I love the passion of that C.T. Stud guy. I would say he's a stud in my book. Literally. Figuratively. He's like, there's too many Christians that are caught up with just living their comfortable life. He's like, I want to rescue people from hell. I want to do whatever I can to rescue them from this eternity of torment apart from Jesus. I'm, put, I'm setting up a rescue shop. I just love the passion of this man. I pray that we would be passionate like C.T. Studd. Have this passion like, I want to make a difference in people's lives. For all of eternity. Eternity hinges on our decision around Jesus. And so for some people, they don't know yet until we give them an opportunity and we share. C.T. Studd, he also said this. He said, I wish I could take every Christian and dangle them over the pit of hell for 30 seconds. This would change the way they live on earth the rest of their lives. <laughs> Again, you can just kind of sense the passion and the intensity of this man. Okay, so, uh, and you kind of get the understanding of the point of this, and it might be true, right? 
Like that might motivate us more than anything else. Like, oh, Lord, that's, it's real. It's awful. I don't want anybody to go there. And I think about that, and I, and I think, yeah, I could, I could see that. It might, that might be true. But what I really love is to give people a glimpse of heaven and how incredible and glorious and amazing heaven is going to be. Do you know? The answer is no, you don't really. None of us really do. Guys, heaven is going to be so incredible, so amazing, far beyond what we can ever, ever think of. I believe when we step into heaven and we think back onto life, this will feel like but a dream in comparison to the reality of what we are stepping into. It will be so grand and so incredible. And what we see in scripture is not just the reality of hell, but the reality of heaven. You see, hell is real, but so is heaven. And as we're going through Revelation, we're seeing some pretty cool glimpses of what heaven is going to be like. And then when we get to the end, I can't wait to get to the end. When we get to, you know, chapters 20 and 21, that's going to be fun. Because then we see the forever heaven, the new heavens and the new earth are established by God here forever. And that's going to be incredible. I'd love to give people a glimpse of that, just that we would catch a vision of how incredible heaven's going to be. There's a lot of people that think it's not going to be that good. In fact, I love what Randy Alcorn said. He's a guy who's written extensively on heaven. He says, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. And he's doing a good job of that to too many people. This is why the phrase or the mantra, I'm just going to party with my friends in hell. Heaven, like, I don't want to float in the cloud and play a harp. Like, seriously? Like, that idea of eternity is, like, lame. I'm going to party. That's what I want, you know? And, and so we have this false and misunderstanding of what eternity really is like, of heaven and hell. Hell is a place of torment that nobody should experience, and God wants nobody to go there. Heaven is a place that he wants everybody to go to, and is going to be more incredible than you could ever, ever think of. Yet the devil loves to just diminish the gloriousness of heaven. When we read through Revelation, read through Scripture, what we realize is heaven is closer to us than we think, guys. We are closer, we are very closely connected to eternity. Very much so. In fact, let's look at the words of Jesus here. Because remember, like C.S. Lewis said, you know, it's hard to ignore hell when Jesus himself talked about it. It's part of his teachings. And so it's hard to throw that out. And so let's look at a story that Jesus told In Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, this is a a parable, verse 19, a parable about a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day, just like us in our country. At his gate was was, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. There's a happy thought. There's some beautiful imagery right there. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, 
Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So this is an interesting story from Jesus. It's a parable, but we can see some very good, true life principles about the afterlife right here. Okay, he's using real names. And so you can see there's some things we can pull out of what eternity is like. And what we see, firstly, is that people in eternity are aware of their loved ones being saved or unsaved. You see that? So what happens is Lazarus goes to Abraham's side, which is Abraham's bosom. Maybe you've read that or or heard of Abraham's bosom. What is that? What is he talking about? That really is, it's paradise. That's what we would call paradise. If you're familiar with Jesus hanging on the cross and the story where the two two thieves are talking to him and one of them says, Jesus, remember me, and he turns to him hanging on the cross. He says, today you will be with me in, in paradise. So Jesus is talking about paradise and saying, yeah, when you die, that's where you are going to go. That is where Lazarus here is in this story. Paradise is a place for those who die but have a right relationship with Jesus. That's where they go now. It's what you would call an intermediate heaven. Because remember, the new heavens and the new earth have not been set up yet. So you think about that. The eternal heavens and earth are not here. Where do people go now when they die? They go to paradise. They go to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Now, this rich man, he goes to Hades. So this is a reference to hell. But Hades is a place where those who haven't put their trust in Christ go when they die. And we can see it is a place of torment. So it's not eternal hell. That's Gehenna in the New Testament. So you see Gehenna and Hades in the New Testament. So Hades is where people go now. When they die, they haven't put their trust in Christ. It's a place of torment, and they're awaiting the final judgment when they'll be sentenced to Gehenna, to that eternal hell. But what we see throughout this is that they are aware from eternity of what is going on on earth in life. Some people think you're just totally oblivious. You have no idea. But what we see in Scripture is there's a connection, and there's an understanding that when people believe in Jesus here on earth, Do you know that heaven is very much aware of that? It is public knowledge in heaven when someone says yes to Jesus. And we see this in Luke chapter 15. I love Luke 15. It's three great stories that Jesus tells. Three lost things. And each time the lost thing is found, or the third one when the the lost son comes back home, there's a big celebration, right? Every time there's a celebration. And so what we read in verse 10 is this. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, of of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Something very similar is said also in verse 7. But here in verse 10, what we see is it's in the presence of the angels. Notice 
that not just the angels, but people who are there in the presence of angels in heaven, in this intermediate heaven, in paradise, they are very much aware when someone says yes to Jesus and they throw a party. So that means when somebody that you know that is already there right now and they, they see somebody, somebody else here on earth put their faith in Jesus, put their trust in him, you are throwing a party, like you're excited about that, but so are they at the same time. Isn't that fascinating? They are very much aware of what is going on here on earth. It seems, seems so time and time again in Scripture. See, we think that heaven's so far away, eternity's so far away, but it's not as far away as we think. It's very much connected to what is going on in, with us and within us and around us right now. And so that brings us back to Revelation. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6. Last week we looked at this, and I said we're going to look at it again this week because now we're going to look at what do we learn about eternity? What do we learn about heaven from these three verses in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11? Listen to this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Okay, so from just these three verses right here, we can see 19 clues regarding paradise or intermediate heaven. And many of these, I think, are also going to apply, probably all of them, but many of them will apply, not all of them, I should say, because things will have changed, but many of them will apply to the new heaven and the new earth, which is the eternal one that we get to experience forever. So let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, what do we see? At death, these people relocated to heaven. There is continuity between our identity on earth and our identity in heaven. We are the same people here and there. People in heaven will remember their life on earth. Verse 10, they're able to express themselves audibly because it says they called out. They can raise their voices indicating emotions and communication. It's also a place of unity because they call out in in a loud voice. It's not voices, but a loud voice. We see they are fully conscious, they are fully rational and aware of each other and aware of God and life on earth because they ask God to intervene on earth. Then we see they have an audience with God. They're able to ask him questions, which also suggests they still need to learn even in this place. Again, they remember their life and they remember who killed them. They have a deep concern for justice and retribution and are still interested in what takes place on earth. They see and understand God's attributes, sovereign, holy, and true, are spoken. Verse 11, they are distinct individuals. Each of them was given a white robe. Wearing a robe suggests that they have an actual physical form. They're not in this disembodied spirit state. There is communication with God because now he answers their question. They're still learning in intermediate heaven because as God answers, now they knew more after God answered them than before. 
they still live in anticipation of the future fulfillment of God's promises because God says they're going to have to wait a little longer. So then we see time still exists here. There's a strong family connection to those on earth as they're called fellow servants and brothers. And our sovereign God knows down to the last detail everything that is happening and will happen. Hey, friends, those are just 19 observations from those three verses. Yes, they apply specifically to the martyrs, but we can apply those really to everyone who is there in intermediate heaven right now. Isn't that fascinating? Why is it important for us to study this and look at this? Why, why should we know this? I just felt really compelled as we're walking through Revelation and you just begin to see the realities of hell, like hell is being unleashed on earth and like hell is real, demons real. I just felt compelled to just really draw, draw that out. Just really focus in on that for a week. Hell is a real place and forever is a long time. So let's take as many people with us to heaven because that also is a real place. And we see so many incredible clues about heaven in Revelation. Not to mention when you get to the very, very end and you see how incredible it's going to be for eternity. So why is it important for us to know this and understand this? I think because it's important that you and I understand this, that there's more to life than what we see and experience right now. There's more to your existence than what you see right now. This isn't all there is. There's more. And when we get to that place, and if you have put your faith in Jesus, no matter how hard it got, it will be worth it. As you step into your eternal ward, your eternal rest, your eternal peace, this is why I want to encourage you to have an eternal perspective as you live your life because there's more to life than what you and I see and experience right now. There's more. This isn't all there is, friends. And we're thankful for that, right? Because if this is all there is, we're like, oh, man. Like, it just, it just it wrecks us. Because if, if this is it, if this is all I'm living for, then yeah, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry and just live it up. But if Jesus is real, if heaven is real and hell, and then, then all that really matters. Isn't it interesting that everybody on planet Earth longs for a thing called utopia? This perfect society where everyone gets along and it runs perfection, there's unity and love and there's no crime and all this. And we, we long for that. And we long for a place where we don't have to die. That's why we're fixated on, on being like immortal. You know, the whole like vampire and werewolves, all that kind of stuff. Like just the, the immortal nature of that just is fascinating with us. But here's the truth. You're immortal. You are going to spend eternity somewhere. Everybody that you come in contact with is immortal. They will live forever. So the question is, where? But we have this longing for perfection. Could it be that there's a God who created us and placed this longing for this perfect place inside of us? We long for that place, yet we cannot find it or experience it here. And the good news is when we, we, we read God's word, we see he set it up that way in the beginning. We broke it, but in the end, he's going to fully fix and restore earth and mankind, and we will get what we long for from the depths of our heart. And why will we get that? Because he will be there with us. Oh, guys, isn't it fascinating and interesting? There's a longing for everyone to experience heaven 
Yet people don't like the idea of Jesus is the only way to heaven. But Jesus says, I came to show you there's a way. It exists. Just follow me and trust me. Oh, guys, heaven's going to be incredible. It's going to be glorious. I'll never forget when I really began to study heaven and what it's like because I went into a season where I was struggling. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. I lost one of my grandfathers. I lost an uncle, tragically, in a matter of four months. Uh, One of my cousins had died a, a couple years before that. It was the first time I was confronted with the reality of death. And it really, that messes with you, you know? It's, it's difficult. And I, I just really began to study and look in Scripture like, what is heaven going to be like? You know, where's my, my grandpa, my uncle? Where, like, what's it really like? What's, is it going to be worth it is one of the questions you wrestle with, right? <laughs> is this all going to be worth it? Because you're stuck with the loss and the pain and just the questions. And you just that's one of the questions we ask, right? Will it be worth it? In the end, and so I'm studying, and I'm, it's had a profound impact on my life as I see how incredible heaven is going to be. I can't even describe it to you guys. <laughs> There's no way. It's going to be more incredible than I could ever ex- describe or you could ever think or imagine. It will be worth it, is what we see here in Scripture. You know, as we get older, there's more and more people that step into eternity in our lives, right? And it always forces us to be confronted with the reality of something we don't even like to think about, and that's death. I wish I could eradicate that. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about, I wish we could do away with hell. I really wish we could do away with death. But it's part of our experience, isn't it? But death isn't in the end. Death is a transition. Is really what it is. And so it's important that today we have an eternal perspective of what really matters and how we should live. And this point really hit home this week for us. I was already studying and planning and preparing to deliver this very message. And wouldn't you know, one of our dear people in our church who was here last, last Sunday, her and her husband in this service, they, they nailed at the end and they prayed at this altar just last Sunday. And on Friday, she breathed her last breath. And she stepped into eternity. And we can rejoice because we know where she is. But man, it messed a bunch of us up. And it leads us to those questions, but all we can look to is Jesus and the hope that we have in him. <laughs> oh man, I'm so thankful, guys, that even in death, there is hope because of Jesus. And that's what this week is going to remind us of as we see the death and the resurrection of Jesus again. Even in death, there is hope. And when we are confronted with the realities of death and have to live with this, can I just say that when you do that with Jesus, it is far greater than when you experience it without him. Because there's no hope apart from Jesus. No hope. My wife, Pastor Amy, she will tell you firsthand, she went through the death of her father at the age of nine without Jesus, and she said it was hell. But when she found Jesus, six years later, Jesus began to bring hope and restore hope back into her life through that. And he can redeem even though the hardest, most painful experiences of our life, 
That's why there's always hope in Jesus, friends. Let's look to Jesus. And can I just say that heaven is about him. Sometimes we get caught up in like, heaven's about a place, but it's not about a place, it's about a person. And please be very clear on that in your mind. And heaven is about a place, not a person. I think too many believers are fixated on like, God's going to prepare a mansion for me and I'm going to be this glorious existence or I'm just going to live in my mansion and live the life that I've always dreamed of. You know, drink, drinking my, my, my drinks on the, on, the, on the sea, you know, just hanging out on the beach and just my mansion, you know, all these types of things that our mind kind of goes there. And uh, heaven will be glorious, not because of the place that it is, but because of the person of Jesus, because he is there. And too often we get fixated on what it is for us. And we just, we have this picture of heaven apart from Jesus. What if you get to heaven and Jesus isn't there? There is an eternity that is uh, where Jesus isn't, and it's not heaven. Heaven is glorious and incredible because of Jesus, friends. Because, I mean, because he is so incredible, he is so glorious, and when we get to the end of Revelation, we'll see there's no need for the sun. He is so bright and so radiant. We won't even need the sun anymore because of Jesus. It's more about a person than a place. Make sure you get your priorities right, friends. And so I pray that today Jesus would captivate our hearts and we live for him and look to him and put our trust in him and let's live with an eternal perspective, okay? An eternal perspective. That's my prayer for you today and this week and for the rest of your life. Let's stand to our feet. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.